Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communication Chairman David Campbell, and today we're going to be talking about the market rate adjustment that is due to come up per our contract on September 1st. To do that, I have with me MEC Chairman Will McQuillan and Membership Committee Chairman Brad Beachler. So, Will, I want to reorient how we got here, and could you take us back to when you were negotiating this section of the contract and talk about what the goals were, both for Alpha and for the company, and how this got into our contract? I think most people know, but this is new to this current contract. Right, and actually, I'll take you back a step further and talk about just negotiations in general. If you looked at the spirit in which we were negotiating uh, you know, the current CBA going back a year ago, and a lot of what we were working on was making sure that not only we brought the contract forward, that we met the needs of the pilots per the polling and everything else like that, but overarchingly, if you looked at it from, let's say, call it management's perspective, ours was the pilot perspective, management was trying to solve an attract and retain problem. They were trying to solve an attrition problem. The, you know, the contract was at such a deficit to our peers that attrition was a big deal. And the market rate adjustment, specifically to your question, is one element of making sure that even though we were able to reach an agreement first, ahead of many of our peers, that we would never get left behind again. Wages are such a huge, important component of that attract-retain equation, and we felt that it was, it was pretty critical that we put language into the contract that codified the fact that we, we would not be left behind again. As we're having this conversation, I wanted to ensure that everyone has the same set of reference. So let me summarize the relevant contract point. Specifically, Section 3A4 deals with the market rate adjustment. What it says essentially is that on September 1st, we will have either the pay increase listed in our pay tables or the pay achieved by averaging the top of scale captain rates at United, American, Delta, Southwest, and JetBlue. And of course, there's a caveat about JetBlue. It assumes that they'll have a contract by the September 1st date, and they do, so they'll be included in that group. Yeah, that's true, David. Or don't forget the 4% negotiated increase. It's the greater of. Yeah, it's important to know we will get some kind of increase, either what's in the contract already, the 4%, like you mentioned, or the average of what these carriers, which brings me to another question. Why those carriers? How did that evolve? Well, there was actually a considerable amount of back and forth when it came to determining that pure set and what would be codified in the uh, the final language. And you'll see a couple of names there that uh, obviously we wanted to be pay banded with the top carriers. And management did insist that, uh, for example, Southwest was included in the formula and felt it was important that JetBlue, if they reached a rate agreement, would also be included. And uh, at the end of the negotiations, this is the, the group of five that we did end up with. And of that group, Will, who has agreements in place as it fits into the definition in the contract? Well, it took some time, but Delta reached an agreement. And likewise, JetBlue has reached an agreement on wage rates as well. But I think few would argue that if you look at the rest of those carriers that are listed, that either now have agreements in principle or actually have TAs out for a ratification vote. And we're starting to draw some what I think are very clear lines in terms of how the industry's moved in terms of compensation. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's sort of the crux of the issue, right? Is there, it's clear where things are going. And so 
we've got the letter of the law here, but we still have an attraction and retention problem. Well, and that gets right back to the spirit, the intent in which we negotiated this language, which was to, again, never be left behind to keep up with our peers. And we can see the industry moving and whether or not we've reached September 1st or we have ratified agreements in place, you definitely have agreement and consensus in and around where the industry landscape is when it comes to compensation. And that is, as I said, a very important piece of their attract and retain problem. We'll get into the rest of that here in a little bit. And attrition is still very much a problem. So as you saw in the chairman's letter, I think that based on the spirit and the intent in which we negotiated this language, it's time to sit down. It's time to sit down with our management team and talk about this. Yeah, I do too. And I, the attract and retention problem, it goes beyond pay, right? Because it, it impacts a lot of the other parts of the contract that affect our quality of life. And do you want to speak to that a bit? Yeah, this is obviously just the leading edge. This is the easily definable piece of the argument, which I think that we need to meet and discuss with the management team. And then likewise, since the whole reason we have Brad here is because as the membership chair, he does go through all of the exit interview data and can identify some real trends. And I think also before we get into some of that, it might be a good idea to talk a little bit about what the attrition looks like. All right. Well, let's talk more specifically about attraction and retention because we have a whole committee that works on this. And so when we mention it's a problem, that's not just anecdotal. We've got real data. So Brad, thank you for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank and you. Explain to us what your involvement is in this and your committee's role. So as the membership chair and the membership committee in a whole, we track and monitor everybody who's left. We get all the information from the company and we collate the data ourselves to see and compare and hopefully be able to draw some good information from it. We send out exit interviews to every pilot the majority of them respond. So we have their main reasons for leaving and most of them tend to tell us where they're going as well. So it's data that we can uh, collect and use. And if you're looking for specific numbers, we have them absolutely. As of this morning, which is the uh, 28th, we have 113 resignations this year. That's just shy of 41% of the uh, 274 pilots that the company's hired this year. That's a much larger number than last year. Last year, at the same time, we were sitting at about 29% retention. So one could argue the company has hired a lot less pilots, but a larger percentage of pilots have been leaving than last year. So that's clearly going to be a problem for growth. I would think so. Yeah. And are you actually interviewing many of these pilots? Uh, it it's not a voice interview that we do with them, but we send them out a survey and then there's plenty of open white space for them to put in any sort of additional reasons they have. And nobody should really be surprised that the top contenders are quality of life and pay. There's lots of other subsections of that, but it, they can all be summarized as quality of life issues. You mentioned you're also asking where they're going. Yes, sir. What does the data show about that? Uh, this year, 76% of the pilots have gone to the big three. I could break it down, but it's the majority are going to United. After that, Delta, a small percentage are going to American. There's been four pilots that have left for Hawaiian, Southwest, Spirit, and then about 30% have been unreported on where they're going. All right. Well, and that makes me think of something Will said at the top of this, which is that when you're negotiating initially, we want to be connected with the big three three essentially. Right. Because those pay scales that are becoming established 
whether or not they're ratified or not. As you can see where it's going, these carriers are effectively buying the pilot supply, and that matters, and we need to be part of that race. In a way, to summarize then, based on your data, Brad, it sounds like Delta American United are really setting the bar. Yes, absolutely. Well, Brad, those attrition numbers sound alarming to me. Yes. I mean, they certainly give you pause because I think that jumping back to the quality of life issues, if you want to talk about one thing that we can say overarchingly about quality of life and how those attrition numbers impact us, it's that obviously they impact trading, which is a huge priority for the pilots. We wrote the language. The language is there. The staffing isn't. You know, for pilots to be able to trade there and have that schedule flexibility that they said was so important. But the other piece is the growth piece. The companies articulated some fairly ambitious growth plans, and all that's predicated on attract, retain, and keep those pilots. And of course, with that growth, quality of life means quicker upgrades, getting off reserve, better schedules, things that are important to our pilots. So we have a mutual interest in them being able to attract, retain, and grow this airline like they want. It isn't that we're trying to solve the company's problem with their attraction and retention problem, but the effect of not having enough pilots affects all of the pilots, and that we do care about. We want pilots to have flexibility. That's why we worked so hard at this last yeah, contract. That, that's when it gets personal to me and to the MEC and to all the other volunteers, because we work hard to craft the language that met pilot priorities. Give me the scheduling flexibility, quick progression, quality schedules, things like that. And there are more things, too that we will get into largely at the MEC meeting here in a couple of weeks, but we need to be able to feel those things. And that starts with the company being able to hire, attract, retain the pilots that it needs. Exactly. That's built into the cake of the contract. We can't achieve those if we don't have the pilots to fill the schedule. Yeah. And ingredient one of that cake is the compensation piece. Right. Okay. So what are we doing about that? Well, I, as you may have seen, I sent out a chairman's letter kind of highlighting very much the issue that we're talking about here. In addition, an email went to uh, to Ben and to Shane, both of whom were here when we negotiated this contract and understand the intent that we were negotiating, trying to keep industry parity and to solve an attract retain problem. And just asking them, regardless of whether or not the date of September 1st has been met or contracts have ratified or not, it's time to sit down and discuss ground zero of that attract retain problem, which is the compensation element. And I would hope that we will sit down very soon to have a meeting on that topic. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Returning to the broader issue of solving the attract and retain issues, what's the plan? Well, as Brad said just earlier, we have data from those who've chosen to leave. We have feedback that's come to your elected reps. We've done airport sits. We've heard directly from the pilots. And if I was to put a blanket characterization on it, as we said, it's quality of life and scheduling flexibility. And we're going to be discussing those things at that MEC meeting here in mid-August and then engage management on fixing the other part of the attract retain issue. Will, what else will be the focus at that meeting? Well, obviously implementation elements, those things that are also critical to our quality of life, which is the implementation of PBS as well as the new reserve system and, and briefing the MEC on that and the progress as we move towards those goals early next year. Will, why don't you explain why it's important that the timeline stays on track for PBS and the new reserve system along with this attract and retain issue? Well, it's a big piece of the quality of life piece. Again, with PBS and that new reserve system, 
you're going to be able to fly the trips your seniority will hold and not on a line that has one trip or a series of trips shoved on to it that you don't want to fly. You'll have more flexibility in being able to fly the credit you want, not tightly pinned to a line average, for example. And then when it comes to trading and trading flexibility, you'll be trading on a single reserve coverage number, you know, not constrained by wraps. It will make a difference. And is the company on track and all the vendors on track? How's that going? Yes, we are at this point and we have a regular cadence of meetings with the company. We're monitoring it closely. NavBlue does insist that they're on track. And I will say that the company has a set of dedicated project managers who meet to coordinate and push on the PBS and all the CBA related programming. And so far, yes. Okay, that's good to hear. Let's hope that stays on track until we get it implemented. Any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think so. Uh, August is going to be an important month. Obviously, like we just said, we'll see how the company responds to the MRA email. Obviously, we'll let you know. We've got the MEC meeting and refining that list of the other quality of life metrics and working towards that attract, retain, solving problems, the other side of the coin. And I will say, though, that I've heard that as challenging and important as August is, we're hearing from you. You know, you're frustrated at this inability to trade and that we know that staffing is still problematic. One thing I do want to remind everybody of, and actually it's kind of nice that we have Brad here because he is one of our scheduling floor volunteers, just a reminder that the MOUs that were negotiated are designed to facilitate trades even when staffing is constrained, when ARC isn't there. And I know that that's a great deal of your work, Brad. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of pilots call the scheduling floor hotline asking why a trade didn't get approved that should have been approved per our MOUs that we have in place. It's been said before, but to strike home, the programming has not been changed in crew access yet. So a trade that should be approved automatically in crew access may not be approved. So your best bet is always put in a manual trade inquiry. And that's 90% of the time that will get your problem solved and the trade should be approved via the new MOU languages. So very important that everyone remembers to do that if their trade's not approved via crew access. Yeah, I feel like there's a couple of points, Brad, that always have to be made on this every time we do this. And you did make them, which is simply that those MOUs are designed to facilitate trades when staffing is tight, when ARC isn't there. But because the rule set isn't programmed yet into crew access, it does require a manual trade inquiry. And that's where... The team of Scheduling for Volunteers is an invaluable resource if you do get a denial to be able to help you out, to find out why, or to actually be able to get that trade executed for you. Yeah, 100%. If your trade is denied and you're confident that it should have been approved, there's never any harm of calling and asking politely why the trade was denied. One of three things typically happens. It was denied correctly and there's something you didn't know about. It was not approved correctly and you're going to get it fixed or you just have a disagreement that can't be reached. And then that's a great time to call a scheduling floor volunteer where one of them can dig in a little further and see what the detail of that particular trade denial was. All right, thanks, Brad. And Will, as we wrap up, while this isn't necessarily one of our standard State of the Union podcast episodes, is there anything you wanna share with the pilot group about what you're working on? Yeah, I think probably issues that we know are out there and that are on pilots' minds We've certainly heard a great deal about the uh, commuter hotel program and specifically about the email that Dave Metz and Scott Day sent out 
around the program that got people fairly upset. I simply tell pilots that this has been two weeks of back and forth with the company engaging and ensuring that they have data to provide to the MEC to sustain whatever they perceive to be a problem. Right now, that's actually working well, but there just isn't anything to report on the issue um, and that we will hear very soon. I would anticipate that we'll have another podcast on the backside here in a couple of weeks to be able to talk to the pilots and how that's been addressed. And then of course, the other big issue is the volume of transition training that's going on as the Airbus sunsets and as those pilots transition to the Boeing, been very actively engaged in that process and making sure that classes are assigned correctly, that uh, seniority is respected and that the process runs as it should. Brad, you talked a lot about the value of the scheduling floor volunteers, and that's great. I'm really happy that your committee is doing all that work. Before we close, what is that number? How do people contact a scheduling floor volunteer? And also, what are the hours that a scheduling floor volunteer is on the floor? Oh, yeah, thanks, David. The number is 833-303-5667. And the hours typically vary. There's approximately 20 days a month that there'll be a volunteer on the floor, and they're usually between late morning to early evening that a uh, a volunteer will be there. The phone will ring all the time and somebody will get back to you. But if it's one of the days that no one's on the floor, it will be a little bit slower that you're probably gonna get a response. All right, thanks, Brad. And Will, you wanna close us out? Yeah, here in just a second. But before we, we leave the discussion with Brad, I wanna highlight something that he also spearheads that that committee does and does very, very well, which is the pilot mentorship program. Yeah, thank you. The mentor program is a really great program and I'll take a very small piece of the credit. That's mostly Will Swoveland who carries almost all the water for it with the help of a few others. There's 180 pilots who have volunteered to be mentors and there's about 375 pilots that are currently new hires that are being mentored. If always looking for volunteers for this program, it's a pretty great way to help on a layover or in a hotel room. It doesn't have a whole lot of time commitment. There's about five times a year you are supposed to reach out to your mentee and then you're to be available to answer questions and help direct them to the proper uh, committee that may need uh, help. Yeah, it's an important committee and it's really valuable. I think a lot of people when they get hired here, especially if they haven't come from a prior ALPA carrier or even a, a prior union carrier, they may not know what's available. And there's quite a bit, not just the block rep, but all of the committees that can help in a myriad of ways. And just even knowing what those are is really important. Yeah, absolutely. We typically try to pair new hires with pilots that have a similar background. So there's the same uh, point of reference for them to be looking from. Yeah, that's smart. And I think, you know, you mentioned you're looking for volunteers. I think that's a great committee to start with. If And I talk to people like this every now and then that they want to do something with ALPA, but they're not sure what. And I think that's a great entry volunteer position. It gives you a more of a broad overview. You learn more about your union. And after you do that for a while, maybe something else will pique your interest and you want to get more involved in a different committee. Absolutely. We've seen that happen, which is one of the reasons we need more mentors. Right. Perfect. Then the, the program is working. You know, as long as we're talking about volunteerism, if the mentor program doesn't interest you, there's obviously lots of other ways to get involved and to facilitate that We've recently created a volunteer coordinator committee, and you can reach them at their email address, which is volunteerala at alpa.org. Send them an email, and someone will get back to you and help you find a, a way that suits you, so, uh, something you'd be interested in, and move that process forward. 
Will? Yeah, thanks, David. I think returning to the focus of this podcast, which is, again, obviously the first part of the attract retain coin, the compensation piece, I'll look forward to being able to report back after the company does engage with us on that topic, but more to the overarching theme of the attract retain and what it takes. I'd like to say in closing, whether that data is data that we're gleaning from Brad's exit surveys, direct pilot feedback, input to your reps, it's all part of what helps define our path forward and that we'll be working with at the MEC meeting. You can expect that we're going to do more outreach events, things like Unity events, more coffee sits to hear directly from you. And so really in closing, as we continue to solve this problem, solve pilot problems, it's just, as I say, important that everybody stays unified, keep talking to one another. When you talk, it's easy to find those common goals. Stay engaged. The engaged part is always critical. And then always stay professional. Without that professionalism as our soil, we have a hard path forward. All right. Thank you. Thanks for coming in and thanks to all of you for listening. This has been the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communication Chairman, David Campbell. 